are in this series in Exodus. Two weeks ago, we started going through the book of Exodus. I hope you're enjoying uh, the book of Exodus, and uh, we are learning some amazing things about God through the life of Moses, and I know that maybe you've not been able to be here for one or even two. Summers are crazy. I know that. I mean, you got vacations, you got some of you are playing, your kids are playing travel ball, some of you, man, you got in and out guests uh, from out of town, in and out, and, and summers are crazy. There's no such thing as a consistent schedule, I know that. What I want to encourage you to do is, first off, don't take a vacation from God, we don't ever do that. We don't take a vacation from worshiping. We don't ask you to be legalistic and, like, get a gold star for perfect attendance, but we do ask you to, when you can be here, you're here, right? But when you can't, uh, we get, c- catch up online. You can watch it live wherever you are, or you can watch it on demand. Their sermons go straight to on demand, so, so catch up online. But let me, let me recap for you a little bit to get us to where we are today. Joseph becomes the VP of Egypt through a crazy set of circumstances. Uh, he is brought to that position. When he does, he brings his family, moves them uh, to Egypt, gives them the best land in the country, uh, the land of Goshen. Uh, they come as about a family of about 70 people. So it's, it's a, it's a good-sized family, uh, but, but it's a family of 70 people. But as God always does, he keeps his promises. And he promised Abraham that he would make his descendants into a great nation. And so he kept his promise while they were in Egypt. They grew from a small family of 70 to a great nation of about 2 million people. That's a lot of growth, right? And so Joseph eventually died. Then another Pharaoh took office, and then another Pharaoh, and then another Pharaoh, and several Pharaohs, and several generations down the line. A Pharaoh came into power that didn't care about Joseph, (coughs) uh, didn't care about his legacy, what he had done. Uh, Actually, he was threatened by Israel, he thought that they were a national security risk because of their size. They could easily team up with an ally with an enemy of Egypt and wipe Egypt out. And so he said, you know what, we got to do something about this. He was threatened. Uh, he was insecure. So he entered into a war of genocide, of ethnic cleansing of, of Israel. And at first he tried to do it clinical, a little stealth, and he enslaved them. And his ideal in enslaving them was, his idea was, if I enslave them and we'll force hard labor on them, so hard that the older men will die, and because they're older, they're more frail, we'll work them so hard they die. The younger men, well, I mean, they'll be so tired that they won't have time for pleasure. Now that shows you how smart he was, right? Because, I mean, yeah, honey, I'm too tired for pleasure. Said no man ever, right? And so, uh, so through this, they kept growing, they kept multiplying Right? And so he resorted to plan B. Plan B was simply, I'm going to wipe them out by calling the midwives and having the midwives kill the babies as they're born, the baby boys. Okay? And so his, his, his deal was, if I get rid of the boys, the women will uh, marry other folks, and Israel will just be no more as a Hebrew people. Right? And so, so the midwives feared Pharaoh, but they feared God more. And so that didn't work. They kept multiplying. And so he got very desperate. And so he just ordered all Egyptians to throw all Hebrew male baby, babies into the Nile River. Now, it's in the backdrop of that edict to kill all male babies that Moses is born. God in the backdrop, and God just laughs through this almost really. As we see Pharaoh gives this edict to kill all male baby boys, God's response, the birth of a male baby boy. His name would be Moses. Moses' mom and dad were courageous enough to fight fear with faith And they hid him as long as they could. The Bible tells us that it was about three months. We don't know why, but it was three months. At that point, 
And they could no longer hide him, so they put him in a basket in the Nile and put his sister on stakeout, and she watched as the basket floated. Pharaoh's daughter comes down, sees the child. God gives her compassion for the child. She adopts him, names him Moses, all right? And so Moses becomes one of the greatest heroes of history. But here's what I want you to understand. This is not just the story of Moses. This is the story of God. God is the real hero. Anytime we read of a character in the Bible, whether it's Adam and Eve, Moses, Noah, Samson, David, Solomon, Paul, Peter, any of the heroes of the Bible, they're bit players. The story is God's story. And if we begin to look at this as Moses' story, we get off on the interpretation. This teaches us about God, okay? Now, if we carry that over into our own life, what we have to realize about our life is we're a bit player in God's story. This life's not about me. This is God's story, and I'm a bit player in that. If we begin to understand that, things take on a whole new perspective for our life, okay? So we're going to today, we're going to dive in, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter uh, 2, verses 11 through 25. Our bottom line for today is decide this day. That's what you're going to see Moses do, decide this day. He, he comes to a defining moment. Uh, a supplemental uh, takeaway is every moment is a defining moment. A few weeks ago, every moment is meaningful. Every moment matters. Well, this could be every moment is a defining moment. Every moment of your life is a defining moment. You're going to see Moses have a defining moment, and he decides what he's going to do. And so our bottom line is decide this day. We want it to be very active, okay? And so, so let's dive in and look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We're going to go all the way through 25, but let me break it down. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people. Look at that phrase, his people. And he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Okay? He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, Moses is the writer of Exodus. He wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, however you want to label it. Moses wrote it. Now, he doesn't tell us how old he is here. He just simply says when he had grown up. But as we know, the Scripture interprets Scripture. That's one of the very first rules or principles of biblical interpretation. Scripture interprets Scripture. And Acts chapter 7 is basically the commentary for the story that's taking place here. Acts chapter 7. Acts was written by Luke, and Acts 7, it's a speech by, by Stephen. And in this speech, he, he outlines what's going on and gives us commentary on what's going on here. So Acts 7 is an important chapter to understanding what's going on in Exodus. You might want to write that down and, and read it. And here's what Acts chapter 7 tells us. It says that Moses at this time was 40 years old. 40 years old. So here's what we know. Between verses 10 and 11, there's a 40-year jump. And verse 10, Moses is an infant. In verse 11, he's 40 years old. So it goes from his infancy to he's, he's 40. Now, just like Jesus, we do not know a whole lot about Moses' childhood or his adolescence, but we know all we need to know. 
Now, we infer some things. We know some generalizations based on Acts 7 and some other things, and we'll talk about those. But everything is about Jesus. This is a foreshadow of Jesus. As Jesus, we know as an infant is his birth, and then we know, you know, when he's 30 years old, we know one story when he's, uh, you know, in the temple, when he's a young boy, but we don't know a whole lot. Neither do we know a whole lot about Moses. Moses foreshadows Jesus, but we know all we need to know, okay? Now, what we do know is this. Moses had the world by the tail. I mean, Moses was in the driver's seat of life, man. He, his mama was, his adopted mama, which his mama, was Pharaoh's daughter, meaning Pharaoh was his grandfather. Okay, now, when Pharaoh's your grandfather, your, father's, uh, your grandfather's the most powerful man, the most wealthy man in the world. So Moses was in the catbird seat. I mean, he had life by the tail. All the money he wanted, all the women he wanted, all the pleasure he wanted, anything he wanted, he had. Uh, we're told in Acts 7 that he was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and that he was mighty in word and deed. We're told in Acts 7 that he was a smart, intelligent man who was mighty and strong leader and he had the best education in all the, the finest private schools and universities in Egypt because he was being trained to, to lead in Pharaoh's court. As Moses's, or Pharaoh's grandson, he was being trained to lead in Pharaoh's court. But God had another agenda for Moses. It wasn't to lead in Pharaoh's court. It was to redeem God's people from Pharaoh's oppression. Right? And so, so God is working, and Moses uh, really uh, began to understand it all. And so notice here in verse 11, I pointed out, the Hebrews, the Israelites, God's people, are called Moses' people twice in verse 11. It says, he went out to see his people, and he saw an Egyptian beating one of his people. All right? So he identifies with his people. And, and, and God is bringing Moses to a defining moment right here. God's bringing Moses to a defining moment. We understand that Moses has been wrestling with who he is. And your identity means everything, folks. I mean, if you have no identity, if you don't understand your identity, and I'm talking about your identity in Jesus Christ, if you don't understand that, you're going to make a lot of bad decisions and waste a lot of time, right? And Moses, what we see is he, he has this issue of, am I an Egyptian? I'm raised in an Egyptian home. Uh, the Pharaoh, most powerful man, wealthy man in the world is my grandfather. My mom's Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, I'm raised in a palace. I'm a prince. Or am I a Hebrew because that's my heritage? What's my identity? He's been wrestling, and right here we see in how he writes, he's telling us who he is. I know who I am. I'm a Hebrew. I know my identity because he identifies. He says, these are my people. And so he's at a defining moment. He's at a defining moment when he sees this Egyptian beating this Hebrew. He's at a defining moment. What will he do? Will he, will he live in the pleasure and the treasure of Egypt? Because, as I said, he had all the money in the world. I mean, man, he could do anything he wanted to do. Will he enjoy the pleasure and the treasure of Egypt? Or will he give that all up, draw a line in the sand to identify with the Hebrews, with his people, and serve and honor the one true God? What will he do? That's the decision that he's faced with. That's the decision you're faced with every day, folks. That's the decision. Decide this day. Every moment is a defining moment. This is one for Moses. So Moses, in this defining moment, what's he going to do? He, he, he sees, and he, he had already decided. You see, that's the issue. His decision was made. Now he just had to act upon it. So he sees this. He looks this way. He looks that way, seeing if anybody's watching. And then he opens up a 55-gallon drum, a whoop, and kills the Egyptian. 
right? Now, you, you read that and you're like, why did he kill the Egyptian? Does that not sound a little harsh? I mean, why, why, why not? He's the prince of Egypt. All he, all he really could have did was say, stop, dude. And, the, and he would have had to stop. He was lord over him. But the problem is, here's what, he drew a line in the sand. And the wording is not that the guy was just beating the, the Hebrew. He wasn't taking a casual beating. The Egyptian, the wording states, was beating him to death. He was killing him. And so Moses saved the, the Hebrew's life. He saved his life. He drew a line in the sand, and he said, listen, this is who I am. He took a, a stand, and he killed the Egyptian, and he buried him in the sand. And the reason he buried him in the sand now, he's tried to cover it up, and you don't ever try to cover up stuff. You're going to find out that costs you. But he, he tried to cover him up, and he buried him in the sand. But even though burying him, and, and the reason is he didn't want Hebrew, or, or I'm sorry, Pharaoh to find out because he, he would know where his heart is. So he, he kills him, tries to bury him in the sand, and all this is a foreshadowing of what would happen when God would just wipe out all the Egyptians that pursued and bury them in the sand of the Red Sea. It's a foreshadow. But the, the point that you need to see here is Moses decided he took a stand. Decide this day. Moses decided. I want you to read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. This is the hall of faith. Uh, it, it, it's, re it's written to help us understand what people of faith do, what real faith is. And the writer describes Moses here in these verses. And he says, by faith, Moses sees faith. People think of faith as, oh, wishful thinking and just you know, some ethereal. He's telling us, no, Moses, faith is action right? He says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he was 40 years old this time, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Drew a line in the sand. I'm identifying. This is my identity. Do you know your identity? Because if not, you're going to make the wrong decision when you have to decide this day. He said, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, Moses did this because he was looking to the reward. What, what does that mean? Well, it means he was living for eternity and not the moment. And so many Christians, folks, listen, live for the moment. So many people, but even so many Christians live for the moment rather than living for eternity. Moses lived for eternity. He considered God more valuable that all of the pleasure, all the treasure, all the money of Egypt, God was more valuable to him. Serving God was more pleasurable than all the women of Egypt and all the, the possessions and all the stuff of Egypt. He, he said, this is my identity. This is who I am. This is what I live for. This is what's valuable. It's eternity. It's not the moment. It's not the moment. And so, so Acts 7 says Moses, at this point, he knew what he was called to do. When he killed the Egyptian, he knew, if you read Acts 7, what God had created him to do and that God had strategically placed him in Pharaoh's court to lead his people out. He knew that. So he had a decision to make. Will I live for God and fulfill my calling or will I live for self? That's the decision. The decision is will I live for God or will I live for self? That's your decision every day. Every day, decide this day. Every moment is a defining moment. 
How am I going to live today? What am I going to do in this situation? That is your, your decision every day. You see, listen, m- most Christians or many people who claim to be Christians, to be quite honest with you, try to play for both teams. I mean, we want the blessings of God. We want the things that only God can offer. We want, you know, the salvation, obviously. We don't want to go to hell. We want God to save us. We want God to help us. We want God to bless us. We want the things of God. And so we go to church when it's convenient. Man, we put a Jesus is Lord bumper sticker on the back of our car, right? I mean, we, we, we pray for the orphans. We do some of those things. But then we try to live, play for the other team. Man, we, we, we have more sex than, than a man on his honeymoon. Try to use more drugs than Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, listen, curse like a pro. Try to play for both teams. And you know what? Listen, let me make sure you understand something. God has no patience for middle-of-the-road Christians. You need to understand that. God has no patience. Do you know what's in the middle of the road? Roadkill. And that stinks. Roadkill stinks. And that's what lays in the middle of the road. You've got to pick a side. You've got to pick a side that you're going to drive on. Pick a team you're going to play for. Listen. When Joshua took over the leadership ranks, and Jesus even said this. Jesus in, in, in Revelation, you know what he says for, for middle-of-the-road Christians? For, for Christians who try to play both sides for both teams? For people who claim to be Christians but live and their life shows no reflection of that? You know what Jesus said? He said, you make him puke. That's what he said. He says, Christians make me puke that do that. You read it in Revelation, he says, I don't want to spit you out of my mouth. That's why he said lukewarm Christians, middle-of-the-road Christians, people who claim Jesus and don't live like it. Man, I, he says, I just want to spit you out of my mouth. That's how he says it. Joshua took over the leadership reins when Moses died. When Moses died, he, he took over the leadership reins, and, and the people had drifted, man, as they were prone to do. The Israelites had drifted back and begun to worship idols. And, and so Joshua, he takes the leadership reins, and I think it's in Joshua 24. Joshua says, Choose this day whom you will serve. He tells the people, decide this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua decided that day. The next day he got up. He decided that day. And listen, he, he wanted all of Israel to serve the Lord. But it did not matter what they did. He had already decided in his heart. His life was defined. His identity was set. I am God's, and I'm going to live, and I'm drawing a line in the sand. You decide, but I'm telling you what I'm going to do. That's what kind of man, men and women we need for the kingdom. People that say, I'm going to decide this day. Now listen, Jesus said this. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. When he said that, he was talking specifically about money. And he's talking about money because people worship money to this day. The two things that people worship, um, people worship a lot of things before God, even people who claim to be Christians. But the two primary things, the biggest thing, are money and sex. And so Jesus is specifically talking about money and said, don't let money be the thing you worship. But he, what he's, his point was, you have to determine who's going to be your God. You have to determine who you're going to worship, what you're going to worship, because who you worship is going to drive your life. It's going to determine what you spend your money on. It's going to determine where your time goes. What you worship, who you worship, is going to determine the decisions you make and how you set your life. And Jesus said, decide this day. Joshua said, decide this day. We see Moses, decide this day. Draw a line in the sand. This is who I'm living for. Now listen, that's what we're calling you to. You're not going to be perfect. 
You're going to mess up, screw up. You're not going to be perfect. But you need to decide this day, this is my life. This is my identity. This is who I'm living for. This is what my life is going to be about. So decide this day. Now, look at verses 13 through 15. Verses 13 through 15 says, When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, the very next day, Moses is, is, he goes out, and this time, yesterday he went out, and there was an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. So he jumps in, and he deals with it. Today he goes out, there's two Hebrews fighting. And Moses, don't you know, is going like, good grief. I mean, isn't it enough that the Egyptians are beating you up, let alone you're beating each other up? So he says that he determined and knew which one was in the wrong. And when he knew that, he, he, went, he looked at the guy that was wrong, and he said, what are you doing? He said, stop. So the, the, the guy in the wrong, uh, he basically says, listen, you may be a prince of Egypt, but you're not my prince. Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? When he said that, Moses, man, his eyes got bugged because he realized, oh, my dirty little secret's not a dirty little secret. You see, Acts 7 also tells us, it gives us a little light on what he's thinking. Acts 7 tells us that Moses thought when he killed the Egyptian and drew the line in the sand that the Hebrews would recognize him as their redeemer. He knew why God had placed him in Egypt. He, he now understood this is why God has placed me in Egypt. This is why I have the education I have. This is why I have, I've studied the law. I've studied understand, I understand mathematics and leadership so I can lead in Pharaoh's court. I know why now to be the redeemer. And he thought when he killed the Egyptian, they would recognize him, the Hebrews, as their redeemer. But they didn't recognize him as the redeemer. They criticized him and complained against him. And what this was was basically foreshadow of how they would criticize him for 40 years in the wilderness and how they would complain. Moses, you brought us out of Egypt and man, we're better off in Egypt than we are. We're going to starve to death. Moses, we'd rather go back to Egypt. They began worshiping a golden calf. Listen, leadership's tough. It's not for wimps. It's not for the weak. Okay, it's tough. And, and you get criticized and Moses was getting criticized and it was a foreshadow. Moses, this is what you're going to have to deal with for 40 years. Every moment has meaning. Every moment matters. Every moment's a defining moment. How are you going to handle it? What are you going to do? Now, let me point out one clear thing right here that, that screams at us, and I think it's all through Scripture. You can't hide sin. You can't hide sin. Moses, as I said earlier, wrote Genesis. He wrote Exodus. He wrote Leviticus. He wrote Numbers. He wrote Deuteronomy. And in Numbers, here's what he said in Numbers. He said, be sure that your sins will find you out. You can't hide sin. You will either own sin or you will be owned by your sin. It's the only choice. You will either own sin or you will either be owned by your sin. Moses, when he hid the dude in the sand, listen, he, he was trying to cover it up. You can't cover up and hide sin. Some of you right now are struggling spiritually. 
Some of you are struggling relationally. Some of you, your relationship with God is, is man, it, it, it seems like it's in complete neutral. You mean you're punching the gas and you're going nowhere, even rolling backwards. Some of you in your relationships with other people, there's something, there's disconnect. And listen, there's many reasons. One of the reasons that that's the case for some of you is because you've tried to hide sin. And you can hide sin from me. You can hide sin from people for a little while. But you can't hide sin from God for a moment. You can't hide sin from God because God knows every detail of your dirty little secret. He knows every detail of your dirty little secret. You will either own your sin or you will be owned by your sin. And Moses now is being owned by something that he did and tried to cover up. And whatever you're hiding, here's what you need to know. God knows it. Your way of breaking free. And it, the, remember, the story is not just, even though it is historically accurate, it's not just history about a nation or about Moses. It's, it, it's a story of God redeeming the, a nation from bondage, but it's a spiritually the story of God redeeming you and me, those who surrendered him from bondage to sin. And listen, the only way for you to experience freedom is to confess and repent. You can't hide sin. You can't hide sin, folks. You'll own it or be owned by it. And so I, I, I challenge you today, some of you are having an affair and you're hiding it, and it's owning you, and it's going to come out. You will not hide it. Some of you are, you know, you're, you're, you're in some sin, you're, you're lying to your parents. Some, some of you are, are, are you're doing something that's not that big of a deal, but it's sin and you're hiding it. You can't hide sin. Own it or be owned by it. Own it or be owned by it. Okay? That's what we see here in Moses. And so, so when news finally reached Pharaoh, here's what happened. Pharaoh, even though he, you know he loved Moses, he's a grandson, he grew up there in his palace, Pharaoh put a hit out on Moses. Going to kill him. Why? Because now he knows Moses' heritage and he knows his heart is with the Israelites. Moses drew a line in the sand. Pharaoh knew it. And he's going to kill him. Pharaoh's line in the sand was possibly going to cost him his life by the most powerful man in the world. Yet he did it. Let me make sure you understand that many, many, many of us need to draw some lines in the sand so that people will know it, and it's going to tick some of them off, and it don't matter. It shouldn't matter because you need to take a stand and decide this day whom you're going to serve. The problem with many Christians is nobody knows they're a Christian. If you're around people for, a long, for any length of time and they don't know you're a believer, there is something wrong in, how, in your walk. And so Moses had drew a line and drawn a line in the sand, and Pharaoh put a hit out on him, so he had to run. He had to take refuge in a place called Midian. And God is preparing Moses to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years because that's where he goes. That's where he wanders. Now, let's go to verses 16 through 22. In verses 16 through 22, here's, here's, here's what he says. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. Look at that word, very important. And watered their flock. When they came home to their father's Ruel, now Ruel is his name, also, also Jethro, okay? Jethro rules the same, same person. Some of you go by two names. This is Jethro Rule, okay? He said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand. There's that word, saved, delivered. Now, an Egyptian, you see, Moses, they, they said an Egyptian, because Moses, you know, he shows up, he's dressed like an Egyptian, he's talking like, he's walking like an Egyptian, all this kind of stuff. And so, 
they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that we may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now, he, he runs off to Midian, finds a well, which would have been, you know, in the, in, in the center somewhere of this area, village, town. He sits down uh, close to the well, and he sees seven women driving their sheep to the well. Now, even to this day, in a nomadic Arabic culture, it's the women's job to water the sheep. That still happens today. And so, so he, he watches these seven women. They bring their sheep down. And it's hard work. You've got a well. You've got all these sheep. And you have to draw the water out of the well. And so it took them a while. They draw the water. They pour it in the troughs. They draw more water. They pour it in the troughs. So when they get all the water drawn for the sheep, these thug shepherds come in, right? These thug shepherds, they realized, they waited. They saw these women drawing the water. Oh, well, they've drawn the water. We'll run them off, steal their water. We won't have to do all the work. So that's exactly what happens. These thug shepherds roll in, run the women off, start stealing their water. Moses is at another defining moment. Every moment's a defining moment. Decide this day what you're going to do. You see, Moses had to decide, am I going to sit back, do nothing, be passive, or am I going to get, jump in and get involved? Am I going to reject passivity? Am I going to defend the weak? Am I going to defend the marginalized? What am, I, am I going to take action? What am I going to do? Well, Moses, we're learning about Moses. Moses took action. Moses was not a passive man. Moses took action. He jumped in. He ran the shepherds off. And he runs the shepherds off and he learned something. He didn't kill the shepherds this time uh, like he did the Egyptian. He simply ran them off. And then he went a step further and watered their sheep for them. Man, God's given us a lot about the character of Moses. He's telling us what kind of man Moses is. Moses is a man that rejects passivity. By the way, one of the definitions of manhood, one of the part of the definitions of manhood, we went over this in our men's fraternity a few, year ago, a few years ago, is that a man rejects passivity. A real man, is, he, he doesn't just sit back. He does something. He rejects passivity. Moses, he fought injustice. He fought injustice when he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He fought injustice when he saw a, a thug shepherd running off women. He defended women, which is what a man should do. He fought injustice. He rejected passivity. He, he, he cared for the weak and the marginalized. This is exactly the kind of man or woman God can use to rock the world. Do you understand God doesn't tempt anyone, but the Scripture said he tests everyone. So he's testing Moses. Are you going to be the kind of man that's going to reject passivity? Because if you're going to lead my people... You've got to be a man of action. Are you going to be a man, Moses? Are you going to be a man that's going to fight injustice, Moses? Are you going to be a man that's going to fight for the, for the weak and for the marginalized? Moses is proving, that, and God's testing, and God preparing that he's the man for the job. And listen, that's what kind of believers we need. Now let me stop. I want to, I want to hit pause on that sermon for a moment. And in the context of what I just talked about with Moses, I want to talk about what happened this week tragically in Charleston, South Carolina. This past week in Charleston, South Carolina, we had uh, a, an ignorant, uh, absolute, I mean, unthinkable crime of hate that happened. And, 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 and what I want you to understand it is, is sad, it is unthinkable, it is sinful, it breaks the heart of God. And here's what I want you to understand. We will never eradicate those things. 
The reason we will never eradicate those things, the reason that men will always beat their wives, the reason women will always abuse their children, the reason that there will always be hate crimes, the reason there will always be addictions, is because we live in a broken world that is broken by sin. The answer is not more money. The answer is, is, is throwing money at it. The answer is just not, not just more education. The answer is Jesus because the problem is a break, is a sin, and a broken relationship with Jesus. That's our biblical worldview. So we will never eradicate it. But let me tell you what we must do as believers is stand up for the weak and stand up for the marginalized in whatever, uh, if it's, if it's a, a lady that's being uh, trafficked, if it's an orphan, if it's a hate crime, we must stand up and fight injustice, and we, we will never eradicate, but we must make our voice known. And we must let people understand that this is a sin that breaks the heart of God, and we will not stand by and let it just happen without making sure you understand that this is not the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. Now, here's what we need to do as a church. I'm thankful for this church because you have got to reject if you want to lead the way and our church leads the way in so many areas in the world of church and what i want you to understand is what you've got to do to do this is start at the grassroots level and you've got to reach across if you're black if you're yellow if your skin's white if it's if it's red whatever color your skin is you've got to reach across not just at church not just at work but in your daily lives and build relationships so that we can show what a healthy kingdom perspective of the kingdom of god is and so i, I call this church and i'm thankful and i'm so thankful for this church and, and, and what God is doing here. And what I want you to understand is if you are, are, if you are not white, man, I thank you. We thank you for being here and what God's doing. And I look forward to one day when this is just completely, totally, I mean, right now there's, 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 there's people from Asia. There's people, there, there's, 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 there's black people, yellow people, white people, red people. There's all colors of people here. And I look forward to the day when you can't tell which one's the majority and which one's the minority. Because that's what the kingdom of God. And we've got to do what we can to make sure that God's heart is known. And we start at the grassroots level, folks. And you've got to do that personally in your life. We're doing it as a church, but you've got to do it personally in your life. And if you're not, if you're not white, you reach across and find someone that's white. Reach and find someone that's, that, 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 that's, that's a different color, yellow, red. If you're, if you're white, find someone that's different. And man, you, got, you start having dinner. If you don't have friends that are different color, it don't matter what color you are. If you don't have friends that are different color, then you, you need to move out of that zone and get friends of all different colors. And that's how we're going to stand up and say, this is the picture of what God desires, and that is a tragedy, that is sinful, it breaks the heart of God, it breaks our heart, and we will not stand for it. And so I want to pray right now, and I want to, I want to stop and I want to pray for specifically the people at Emmanuel AME Church this morning as they worship for the first time this morning since this incredible tragedy unthinkable tragedy. I want to pray for them, and uh, man, I want to pray for our world. So let, let, let's pray. I'll pray, and you just bow. Father, we love you, and God, in a world that is broken by sin, Lord, sadly, we expect people to be sinners and act like sinful people that rebel against you. 
Thank you for your grace, your common grace that keeps us from murdering and raping and just pillaging each other all the time. But God, we do know that there are people because of sin that do stupid, sinful things. And we pray that, Lord, you would protect us, that you would protect, Lord, uh, our, our, our children, that you would help us, Lord, to stand and fight injustice. Lord, whether it's a... a, 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 a lady who's being trafficked, whether it's an orphan who's being abused, whether it's a hate crime, God, help us to have, be like Moses and decide this day we're going to fight injustice and we're going to reject passivity and we're going to take action and we're going to get involved. And God, I pray, I pray for our country. God, I, I, I pray for the people this morning at, a, at, at uh, Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. I pray that you would take something that's tragic and Lord, as you do, as you promise in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We do not see how this can be good, but we know your promise. And it's not good, but we know you can make good out of it because you promised to. And we pray that we would see you do that for your kingdom. We love you and we praise you. And God, we adore you. And thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right, now, back to the sermon, all right? So, once again here, Moses has a decision to make, and we see a great picture of his character. Now, think about Moses as he's, as he's out here at this well. And by the way, isn't it funny? He sits down at a well, and we see that at a well is where Isaac and Jacob meet their wives, right? Some of you guys, you, you need to go to a well somewhere, you know, find you a wife. Uh, you know, and so, uh, but, but he sits down at a well, and he's got to be thinking, because he's the grandson of the most powerful, wealthiest man in the world. I mean, he's got the world by the tail. He's in the catbird seat, he, and he's got to be thinking, a few weeks ago, I was a prince in a palace, and now I'm a nobody in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, and God is using this. God is humbling him. God is training him for the task that he has. And so, so the girls go home. And when the girls go home, their daddy says, why are you home, sorry? What happened? They said, Dad, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. This Egyptian, he comes out. These thug shepherds come down, and they, man, we drew all the water. They run us off. They're going to steal our water. And this Egyptian man, he comes out, man, and he saves us. That's the same word used. That's why I wanted you to hang on to it. It's the same word used for how God saved the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. He saved us. Moses saved them. It's the same word. He saved us. He delivered us. It's the same word. It's all a foreshadow of how Jesus would deliver us. It's the same wording. It's all about Jesus. He said, he said this man saved us. And, and her daddy, like any daddy that's got daughters, right? I, I've got daughters. And, and, and daddy, like, 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 like any daddy, uh, said, well, wh wh what are you doing? Why didn't you invite him in for dinner? Go get him. Bring him in. Let him have dinner. So Moses goes to dinner, and he got more than a biscuit. He ended up getting a wife. Her name was Zipporah. It's where Zippo Lighter, she became the Zippo Lighter queen. And I'm kidding. It's not in the Bible. It's just a bad joke, obviously. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking of burning bush, Zippo Lighter. Uh, you, you wouldn't get it. So anyway, obviously stupid. Uh, but her name was Zipporah. So she mar he marries Zipporah, and it says that they live, ha they live happily ever after. No, they live for 40 years in Midian, and he becomes a shepherd for 40 years in Midian. Now, there, there's, there's, what you've got to understand is there's something 
about this 40-year sequence. He's in Egypt for 40 years. He's in Midian for 40 years. He wanders through the wilderness for 40 years. I love what James Boyce said about it, great pastor, theologian of years gone by. He said, God, Moses spent 40 years in Egypt learning something, learning how to be a leader, learning, getting educated. So he spent 40 years in Egypt learning something. He spent 40 years in the wilderness learning he was nothing. And he spent 40 years leading the people through the wilderness, learning God was everything. I love that. That's awesome. And so, so Moses here, here's another foreshadow, a mirror of Jesus. Moses was rejected just like Jesus by his own people, and he was received by strangers just like Jesus. Folks, it's all about Jesus. Now, one thing I want to point out is don't think the wilderness is meaningless. Some of you are in a wilderness right now. Some of you are going into the wilderness some of you are coming out of the wilderness, some of you are in the middle of the wilderness. And sometimes when we're, we're in the wilderness, we think, what's going on? This is meaningless. I don't understand it. Don't think the wilderness is meaningless. Because it's in the wilderness that God is preparing you. He never stops working, and he never stops preparing. So let, let's finish this out, verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Now, listen, uh, this also is a mirror of what happened with Jesus. You remember what happened? You, you remember Moses. He was born. Pharaoh gave an edict. All the baby boys would be killed. So Pharaoh's mama and daddy fought fear with faith. Courageous protected him. Uh, three months, he's protected in Egypt. Uh, then he, he leaves. Has to flee after he's 40 and kills the dude. He's in Median. Pharaoh dies. God says, you can go back now. Guys, who's killing you dead? Fast forward. Jesus, he's born. Herod kills all the baby boys. And the angel tells Joseph, you need to escape to Egypt. They take Jesus to Egypt, and they stay in Egypt until an angel comes and says, now Herod's dead. The people who want to kill you is dead. You can go back. It's all about Jesus, folks. You've got to understand it's all about Jesus. And so, so uh, here, uh, when the Pharaoh dies, uh, Moses, you can, you can return now. And, and here's what happened. Israel began to cry out to God. Now, they've been in slavery for 400-plus years, and they begin to cry out to God. It doesn't say that they didn't pray before, but it makes a specific deal that they began to cry out to God. It's almost like God's their last resort. We've been here 400 years. Nobody else is coming. God, is God your last resort? I certainly hope not. So they cry out to God, and, and a funny thing happens. When, I read, when you read this, you, you, you know, stop a little bit because you say, okay, it said God remembered when they cry out to God, their groanings reached God, and God remembered. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He remembered. It says he remembered, he heard, he saw, and he knew. Four words. He remembered, he heard, and he saw, and he knew. So when you read that, you're like, now hold on a second. Let me, let me think about this. Did God forget? Did God forget? And the obvious answer that we know is no, God did not forget. God's not like you and me, Right? I mean, I, I can't remember anything. I took my daughter, Jaden, who is nine. I took her to the doctor the other day. She was sick not long ago. I took her to the doctor, and we step up to the window, and I'm signing her in. They said, yeah, tell me, your, what, what's your daughter's birthday? And I went, good question. I have no clue. I got five kids, so you've got to give me some grace here, right? So I had asked Jaden, Jaden, what's your birthday? The nurse, I thought, I, I told her, I said, I win the Daddy of the Year Award, don't I? She said, most of the time when daddies come in, they don't know. I said, 
good. That made me feel better. I don't know if it made me feel better or not, but, but uh, God didn't forget. He's not like me. God knew everything. What that means is when it says that God remembered, heard, saw, and knew, it means he took action. He took, he took action. Because you see, if you don't understand that, if you don't know that, you begin to believe finally the people has worn, have worn God down. I mean, they've asked him enough to where he just finally says, okay, you know, sort of like my kids do me. Daddy, can I do this? No. Daddy, can I do this? No. About the 15th time. Baby, I want to watch a football game. Go play with the trucks in the road. I don't care. You know, I mean, you get worn down. Well, they're not wearing God down. They're not wearing God down. They didn't finally, God didn't say, okay. That's not what's happening here. But, but if you read that, you're thinking, okay, God, God they prayed. and God, No, God, he, he, here's the thing. God didn't respond to their cries. They, were resp they responded in cry because God was working. That's important for you to know. God is working and he drew them to himself. And they responded to God working, not vice versa. You see, God was working the whole time. They didn't know it. 400 years they're in slavery. And they did not see the hand of God working, but he was working. He was working in Pharaoh's brutality. He was working in the Pharaoh's daughter's compassion. He was working in the courage of Pharaoh's mom and of Moses' mom and daddy. He was working when Moses was being raised and trained and educated to be a leader in Pharaoh's court. He was working when Moses was running in the wilderness for 40 years, being prepared. He's working the whole time, and they had no clue. And finally, he's at a point of, of, of deliverance, and because he's working, then they respond to God. And you need to understand that so clearly. Because when you're in a wilderness... Sometimes, listen, when, when, they're, when you're in slavery for 400 years, you're thinking, I know what God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised to bless us and make us a great nation and bless the world through us. But I don't think God remembers us. We've been slaves for 400 years. Does God remember? Does he see us? Does he know what kind of shape we're in? Does God even care? Sometimes you can begin to think that, can't you? Does God remember me? Does God care what's going on in my life? I, I don't know. Does God really? And, and here's what we can be, be assured today. God sees, remembers, knows, and hears.